Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we have Nicole on, who is a neuroscientist or training to be one. Hi, Nicole. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? All good. So do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you're actually doing at the moment? Yeah. So, um, well, I'm actually a personal trainer. I've been one for the last 10 years um, and I then decided to change. Um, I was really fascinated with neuroscience, um, so I decided to do that as my degree so I'm in my third year at the moment um looking to go into behavioral science actually afterwards I'd like to uh kind of take it into the finance sector to help uh, people in basically like decision making and risk taking within finance so it's like behavioral economics really that's Um, a really interesting sort of move from personal training into sort of behavioral science because you must have the personal trainer have seen a lot of the mental side effects of working out and and why some people stick to it and others don't yeah to be honest i actually feel like personal trainers should have some kind of psychology degree because <laughs> some of the things i hear i'm like am i allowed to know this and am i qualified enough to <laughs> talking about this um but yeah no and you're dealing with people's psyche all of the time you know there's a lot more that goes into personal training than just you know the actual training like especially if you're dealing with people who've got like body dysmorphia or have no mo- motivation or or you know o- obese um, there's, you know, it's not as simple as, oh, just stop eating or just go to the gym. It's, it's, it's definitely a psychological thing. Um, and I think people do have a lot of trouble around the mental health towards, uh, fitness, uh, healthy eating food in general. I mean, I think food is probably almost everybody's like worst enemy. Um, uh, well, as, as far as I'm concerned with my clients and stuff. So, um, yeah, um, I guess, I mean, I did the personal training thing because I kind of just fell into it, to be honest. I I started teaching when I was 18 uh, in a gym. Someone said there was a job going. I was like, great, I need an an extra job. And I'm I'm really active all the time. So I might as well just get paid for it. Mm. And then I came to London when I was 19 from South Africa. Um, And basically, I I knew I wanted to study, but I had to live in the country for, I think it was three years, but I ended up staying here for five anyway. Uh, before I could uh, apply for a student loan. Mm -hmm. So that's why I did the personal training on the side. And then I thought, well, that's actually a great job to have as a student. Um, So I went into studying at 27, uh, 20, yeah. Oh my God, I can't even remember. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it was a little bit longer than expected, but um, yeah, so now I'm, I'm studying neuroscience and yeah, like I said, I'm in my final year. So it wasn't as much as PT led you into sort of the neuroscience thing. Have you always no. sort of had an interest in that, you know, in the brain and how it works and maybe psychology yeah. and things like that? Yeah, exactly. I, I always have. And I always knew that I wanted to either go into medicine or neuroscience. I actually wanted to do medicine and intercalate neuroscience with um, medicine, but I didn't get into medical school. So I applied for neuroscience as a backup and then I got into neuroscience. Um, so yeah, no, I always knew I wanted to do it. It it was, it wasn't like personal training led me to this. Um, it was just more like the circumstances didn't quite fit for me. It it was really hard to study. Also, I don't think they have neuroscience degrees in South Africa. So, um, yeah, it was kind of like I fell into the personal training job knowing that I wanted to do something alongside, uh, either psychology or sociology or, you know, behavior. And that's probably why it's, I've been inclined to go into uh, behavioral economics or behavioral science it doesn't have to be economics but it does open that door which is great 
um, because being a, like a hard scientist, I think would probably sound like my idea of hell. <laughs> working. <laughs> if I'm completely honest, I'm, I'm very charismatic and I'm, you know, quite sociable, sociable. Is that a word? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> being in a lab day in and day out doing research, I just don't think would fit me. So I'd, I'd want to uh, do something a bit more either clinical um, or yeah, work in like a, either finance or economics uh, business uh, and actually work with clients. I guess that that would mean that my transferable skills from personal training, working with clients on a daily basis would be able to be carried over. I guess like, you, like you've already said, doing your PT, you know, you feel that PTs probably should have a bit more training around, you know, mental health. But I guess yeah. doing that really showed you that there was a need for more understanding of the brain and, and mental health and neuroscience was a good path into that. Yeah, hundred percent. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big on, uh, synaptic plasticity. It's one of my favorite areas in, um, Ooh, what is that? Yeah. So basically your brain is malleable. And for okay. example, like if you, it's called long-term potentiation. So if you, uh, feed a thought into the receiving neuron, so you get the presynaptic postsynaptic neuron, mm-hmm. if presynaptic neuron is really good at sending a message to the postsynaptic neuron, the postsynaptic neuron will make more receptors on the surface of the synapse to better receive that information. And that's called long-term potentiation. And that's how we integrate long-term memories or long-term thought patterns. And, uh, so it's ha- like building habits. Yes, exactly. Wow, okay. Exactly. Um, so, and that's the same thing with negative thinking. So if you are constantly thinking negatively and you're constantly, you know, it kind of becomes like a downward spiral, kind of like a snowball effect. The more negative you are, the more negative you're going to be and the more negative your thoughts are. And it's the same with positive thinking. So, and, and it's actually been proven through long-term potentiation uh, that that is true. So it, it, the neurons actually become better at communicating with each other. It's almost like tightening a bond between them. So we can actually see this physically in the brain. There's evidence of this happening and well, chemically or, or whatever it be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, you can look it up. It's called long-term potentiation. I mean, it goes into a lot more uh, detail, but uh, you, know, you, you can just you know, research brain plasticity. But basically the brain is malleable, it changes. So when you're born, you don't have, um, you, you have the same amount of neurons. Uh, the only thing that changes is the synapses and the connections in the brain. So when you are learning things, you learn through somatic sensation. So when you look at something, your brain goes, okay, that's shiny. Let's put that somewhere. And that's how children learn. Yeah. Right. That's really important for children to kind of, uh, you know, see the world and smell things and look at things and actually have, uh, you know, interaction with things. That's why, it is, you know, this is a topic in and of itself, but that's why there's a big conundrum when it comes to technology. Uh, there's a woman called Susan Greenfield, Greenfield. Yeah. Greenfield or Greenwell. I, can't remember. I think it's Greenfield. She's from uh, Oxford and she's doing a lot of neuroscience um, studies on the effects of technology on younger brains mm. because uh, yeah, because you learn through looking at things and yeah. the brain basically allocates areas for different things. And if certain things aren't getting stimulated, then the brain is going to want to be optimal. So it will just take over that. So say, for example, like I always use this as an example, but love and affection, if that, that isn't something that's taught as, you know, through, through uh, interactions and through uh, experiences, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do that a lot sometimes. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, if you don't learn that through experiences, 
you're not going to really learn that innately. So what will happen is the brain will take over that area and it will, you know, do something else with it. So that's why a lot of children, and this is not specific. Like, I don't want to say that every child that's abused becomes a psychopath because I'm not, Mm. but that is why some people will end up becoming psychopathic because they don't have the empathy that was taught to them innately. They can't physically, sorry, they can't innately feel love. Like they can maybe learn the theory of it, but they won't actually know what, how that feels, if that makes sense. Because they've never learned it. Yeah. So wow. it's, it, that's, so like the brain is plastic. It changes. It can learn thought patterns, but it can easily, not easily, but it can also unlearn those things. So that's why it's really important to um, make good habits and think positively, because even if it doesn't work right now in a few months to a year your brain will you know start changing to think more positively that's why people will come to the gym and think oh i just want a quick fix but the thing is you need to change long term yeah. not long term exactly so it takes it takes months because the brain needs to rewire itself to think this is a positive thing or this is what i do some people um you know they'll go to the gym because they think they have to eventually it just becomes a thing that's part of you but it has to be integrated Mm. Yeah, I, I really so, like reading around this subject as well like the psychology and neuroscience and all that i find it really fascinating but am i right in saying that they used to think the brain stopped becoming as malleable in your late 20s or do you think you can still change uh, it doesn't matter how old you get yeah you can i mean it's not as easy and actually i'm doing an entire six month module on brain plasticity so i'll probably be able to give you a better answer about that <laughs> Uh, but it's true that it is easier for children to learn, um, especially mm. things like languages, um, because, yeah, it, it is it is easier. It is more malleable. It is more plastic. Um, but I mean, thought patterns can definitely change. Um, you know, this is simple things like positive thinking and, uh, you know, and like, you know, like I just said, you know, making yourself go to the gym and stuff like that. Maybe things like languages would be harder. Learning new things might be a little bit harder, but it's not it's not impossible. It just requires a little bit more. Um, you know, persistence. So is, is neuroscience basically the uh, chemical and electrical understanding of how the brain learns? Is that uh, sort of what you're studying? Brain functions, neuroscience or uh, brain plasticity. Uh, neuroscience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How the brain functions, not, not just learns. I mean, there's different areas. I mean, we do things like uh, psychiatric disorders. Uh, uh, I don't know. You name it a lot of things not not just learning but yeah learning is one aspect of it which i need to add is completely uh complex it's so complex um we still don't really quite know how that works people have tried to uh build artificial neural networks that simulate how the brain learns but we we still don't know there's like three or four different theories as to how we actually learn information we we still don't know a ton about the brain do we how it really works and we're getting better yeah, but it's, um, it's, it's very complex. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of, there's um, 10 to the 18 neurons, sorry, no, 10 to the 11 neurons in the brain. So that's a 10 with 10 zeros next to it. Kind of that number. And then the connections that uh, they make um, with each other uh, sums up to about 10 to the 14 um, uh, yeah, 10 to the 14, which is, which is a lot. I, I, doesn't sound like a big number but i can't comprehend that i don't even know after a million what comes after that (laughs) (laughs) me too me too (laughs) 
Yeah. Once you get to nine, 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 six nines, then you get a, a billion. But then after that, my brain's just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at, at university, um, so what's the sort of process for you? What kind of modules are you doing in neuroscience? Can you specialize in certain areas? How does it work? Yeah, so first year was pretty basic. It was a lot of physiology, uh, pharmacology, um, and then, yeah, like an introduction to neuroscience and anatomy of the, of the brain. Uh, really interesting, but it was very broad. Like, I, I, I shouldn't say this, but I hated the physiology, uh, physiology part of it. <laughs> we were doing, like, heart and lungs, which is great. I wanted to be a doctor anyway, but I was like, I'm not really here to study that. But at the same time, you have to, you have to know all of those things. Mm. Uh, but then second year got a little bit more specific and now third year is where it really becomes really specific. So that's why I chose modules like brain plasticity. That was an optional module. I think you had two mandatory modules, whereas normally you have four or five and then two, um, two optionals, whereas now you have like four optionals and the rest are um, mandatory. So the optionals are, um, yeah, brain plasticity. That should be great. Really interested. Uh, really complex though I'm already I've already got a little bit of anxiety towards that episode (laughs) and it's oh my god it is so complex there's so many yeah different aspects to it Uh, and I'm doing something called brain and uh, behavior Mm -hmm. so things like um uh like love um I don't know what else I can't think of the top so emotions more or less yeah, exactly. So there was another one called psychiatric disorders, which I thought was great. But then I spoke to somebody who'd done that. And basically, we studied uh, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Huntington's in first year and second year. And then in third year, psychiatric disorders is basically just a more in-depth version of that. Mm. So I kind of thought it's great. I'd like to know more in depth about it, but I've already done it for two years. Yeah. Um, you know, not saying I know everything, but it was more like, oh, I'm a bit bored of this now. Uh, it'd be great to do something else and then explore that area. And then if I like it more or less than psychiatric disorders, and I can go back to that and specialize in that in my master's potentially, uh, depending on whether I want to stay there, but it's nice to explore different avenues so that I would know what to do in my master's. And, and what kind of um, careers can you take neuroscience into? Oh goodness. Um, a lot. I mean, you could go into, um, you could go into like, so basically you get pure scientists, which are your researchers. Then you get clinical scientists. So those are the guys. So those are normal doctors, but you can call neuroscience where you work as a neuroscientist, not a doctor, but with patients. So you could potentially be working in a hospital where you're monitoring like the ECGs in a brain surgery, for example, or you could go into uh, imaging so you'd work alongside radiographers and doctors in uh, diagnosing um almost like a consultant yeah so you yeah you're diagnosing the 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 imaging um the, the image you know the, the ct scans yeah. uh, not not only ct scans but that's an example um you could go into i mean you could go in the research side is huge i mean you could yeah. take it from any angle you could go into psycho uh sorry uh, neuropsychology you could go into psychedelics, you could go into pure psychology, experimental psychology, or stay in neuroscience. You could do Alzheimer's research, dementia, I mean, you name it, any kind of research you think you'd want to do, you could go into uh, because there's so much research around neuroscience at the moment. Um, You could go into behavioral stuff, um, if whether you wanted to do research or apply it. So like what I'm doing is I'm taking it to a, uh, like a, you know, like I said, financial or well, economical side of things. So it's applying 
neuroscience to economics and they call it neuroeconomics. Um, wow. It's more science behind how we take risks and how we make decisions, especially for people who are working with like big numbers and um, you know, the stress involved with that, but also like people who do stocks, you know, it's like, I know they calculated risks, but what is the brain thinking when they're going, yeah, you know what, I'm going to bet on that. <laughs> mm. so, I mean, I don't know the number that people bet on when they're doing stocks. And I mean, bets are probably not the right word. <laughs> it probably is to be honest. Yeah. I guess it is in a way. Yeah. Uh, I used to have a, a client who was in uh, stock shares or stock trading, stock brokering. And uh, I, you know, I was always like, don't, don't you ever work, mate? Like I'm literally always on like a cycle tour or at the gym or chilling. And he's like, yeah, you know, when I need a bit of money, I see I'm running out. Then I go, okay, I'll go online and I'll trade a couple of things. And then I'm like, oh, isn't that a bit, you know, <laughs> risky? And he's like, yeah, of course, but I know what I'm doing. It's a calculator risk. <laughs> Yeah, I, I used to work um, in insurance in, in the city and um, they always said that well, it's not so much now, but it used to be just a bit of a calculated kind of bit of a bet, bit of a wager. You know, it might happen, it might not happen kind of thing. I'm an engineer and I do the same thing. No, I don't, I don't. <laughs> My brother's an aeronautical engineer. I'll have to take that up with him. <laughs> um, so you mentioned you want to do your master's in sort of uh, neuroeconomics. Um, and what kind of, uh, what's your average day going to be doing that? I guess neuroscience, like you said, is a lot of research. So it will apply to a lot of jobs that people might get with a neuroscience degree. Well, I'm not quite sure. I have a friend who's in the industry. He's a behavioral scientist. Um, and I was chatting to him about it. And that's kind of what prompted me to go that way. Because, I, yeah, I would like to, if I did stay into pure neuroscience, I'd have to do um, something clinical. But this tickles my fancy because I get to work with people um, and I get to work with, um, you know, high acid clients, which I don't know, kind of makes me feel like thrilled <laughs> so it's like, as well. I'm also doing a calculator risk working with people like that. <laughs> you are. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I, I thought, it, I thought it'd be a bit more exciting. You know, you're, you're, you can put into practice um, what people are thinking when they, when they, when they're using, you know, the brain in that department like finances mm. um so you're you're aiding them in decision making and risk taking kind of like supporting them um in whether it's a it's a good risk or a bad risk or if they're feeling anxious about something then you could do it from a psychological side of things where you're um you know either looking at previous research there's a lot of numbers there's a lot of statistics when it comes to like behavioral science um you're 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 doing a lot of um statistical analyses on uh, people's behavior um and and a little bit of research as well um but yeah it's uh, it's more like finding out ways to improve businesses and finding out ways that you can prove the person who is going to be front on in yeah. the businesses if that makes sense and so obviously uh you're being in your third year you've probably got a dissertation towards the end of the year have you thought about that and what you might do bring in your behavioral science interests yeah they actually haven't released our um uh topics yet they, okay. they normally release them in the last year of second year but because of covid um everything just went a little bit pink tongue to be honest i mean we did our <laughs> for second year online um in the last term which was a bit strange because you know i was doing it from from the house <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to do something in behavior if possible, but I'm also, I also really love pharmacology. Um, the only trouble with pharmacology is I'm not very good at it. 
I um I'd like I'd love to do something with like psychedelics and you know going into yeah. the pharmacology of how drugs work. I don't know if you guys listen to my drug podcast, but um I just I just don't know if I'm I'm good enough for pharmacology to be honest. I didn't do very well in my second year exams. I don't know if that was due to stress or you know maybe I need to spend a little bit more time on it. Um, but that's, that's a really interesting sort of area though because um, I was listening to yeah. Joe Rogan's podcast um, a yeah. few days ago and he talks about this a lot actually sort of the effects of psychedelics on patients with um, certain neurological disorders mm. and yeah. how it can positively affect them oh god yeah I mean I, I'm a huge um, uh, yeah I would I would love to get into that somehow just so that I have a bit more of a leg to stand on but um I've been doing a lot of research and reading up around that. And yeah, it's, uh, I mean, LSD was originally synthesized for psychiatric disorders like anxiety and PTSD disorder, uh, depression. Uh, But then it kind of, well, actually, Albert Hoffman, the guy who was synthesized. Yeah, I can remember his name. He accidentally ingested some and then was like, wow, this is great. Because then didn't he set up a, a like a chemistry lab in his garage with his wife and they just basically created whatever they could and just spent mm. the years trying it out? I'm not sure. No, I don't know if that's... They're not a, him. He was an actual scientist, so... Yeah, no, was, no, he was, yeah. You're crossing was, his name, Jules. You're making his name bad. Come on. <laughs> no, there was a... I can't remember his name, but there was a, a scientist, a, a doctorate, who basically, I mean, during the 60s, just created all these, like psychedelic drugs to and the effects and where he thought they could then be used in different right. um i'll have to double check that i know started doing that in the 40s um he actually started in the 20s but then it only kind of uh, uh picked up um traction in the 40s so i mean it very well could be you know i wouldn't even be surprised i mean he started micro, not even microdosing he actually started dosing it every day because oh such a great time <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it just picked up loads of traction in the sixties when, you know, in the music scene and the whole hippie vibe, which unfortunately then it got classed as a class A drug when it doesn't have, um, you know, detrimental effects like, um, cocaine, heroin, crack, um, I see there's there's two sides to this isn't there really the whole drug conversation you know there are drugs that destroy people's lives because you know they get addicted and it ruins their lives and then there's the other side where it can be used to help people with neurological disorders so it's a difficult balancing act isn't it yeah well that was the whole debate on the podcast was should we be legalizing therapeutic drugs um and you know keeping the ones that aren't therapeutic um uh, illegal but you know the argument is that if you have a look at a chart there's a there's a guy called uh david nutt he's basically like the godfather of psychedelics but basically he researched alongside other scientists um what the most detrimental drugs are and alcohol and this was based on a on a, a harm done to the person as well as to others um and the harm scale for alcohol was the highest it was above heroin and it was above really? Yeah, exactly. And LSD and psilocybin, so mushrooms, and MDMA were at the bottom of the list. I guess that comes from alcohol is a huge industry that makes billions of dollars in tax. It's been, uh, yeah, you know, they're not going to get rid of it. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge economical um, problem here. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, how are you going to take alcohol away? It's such a complex um, approach to you know i don't know i don't i don't even know i can't even imagine a world where people would be okay with that <laughs> no i don't think they would be exactly there's no there's, yeah but at, 
you know, alcohol is so bad for you. I mean, I know I don't drink that much and obviously I, I do drink, but it is, it is really bad for you. And, you know, and I always think like, I wake up in the morning and I feel terrible. Like, why are we putting this stuff in our bodies? And I don't even do it that often. There are people who do it every day. There are people who do it every weekend. And it's so sociable. Like, it's so socially accepted. And it's like, you know, if you, I don't know, if, if that was illegal, you would see why. You know, when you wake up with a terrible yeah. over, I think the only, the only difference between alcohol and maybe other drugs is that you can limit yourself to one or two you can just say, oh, I'll just go out for one pint and then go home because, you know, you're able to do that. And the effects come on a lot slower than, say, if you had to take heroin. I mean, I've never taken heroin, so I can't tell you out of um, yeah. experience. But I'm imagining that, um, you know, you, you're not going to go and do, oh, I'll just do a little bit of heroin. <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. Alcohol, you can moderate yourself, whereas drugs, once you've had a little bit, I'd imagine it's a, a quick snowball effect. Yeah, exactly. Even if you're not doing it, um, you know, in an addictive basis, I'm sure that you're, you know, not, you're not going in for a little bit, you're going in for the long haul for that day, at least. Um, you know, yeah, I'm personally, obviously, I, I don't do any sort of I drink alcohol, but no, no drugs of any sort. Yeah. But the, the thing that interests me is the, the how we could use these drugs to actually help people with disorders that's the main thing that interests me well exactly and this is the thing there are a lot of researchers in england there are a lot of researchers in america who are finding really good results to their research the only trouble now is trying to find a way to legalize it uh because it's still considered a yeah. drug yeah but, uh, i know there's loads of stuff that you know points to the direction that it is good um, and also they don't really have any recorded um, side effects or, you know, detrimental um, consequences. But I say that, that we also don't have enough of the research. So, you know, the, 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 the data could be biased. Yeah. It's you a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so when you go into uh, after you finished uni and, and sort of started working um, and your experiences already, what kind of personality traits uh, would benefit somebody working within neuroscience? I mean, to be honest, if you'd asked me this before I went into neuroscience, I would have said someone who was really um, not boring. because that's not <laughs> <laughs> People don't believe me when I say that I'm, I'm a neuroscientist. I think I'm a little bit of a buffoon if it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, I'm really bubbly. Like my Instagram is really colorful and people are always like, oh, like I don't, you know, not, not to be like um, disrespectful towards me, but they're always like, oh, I didn't expect you to be a scientist. Like, you know, maybe working, uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're not the typical uh, your typical person you expect to be a scientist, but that's a good yeah. thing, you know, changing sort of, you know, personas. Exactly. And like, I don't, I don't think I look like a nerd, to be quite honest. <laughs> consider myself one i always think i'm the type of person who actually has to study really hard to get the grades whereas like some people just it comes naturally but you do have to have a lot of analytical thinking obviously um with that being said i'm not great at maths i'm not bad obviously um but i'm not great at maths um mm -hmm. so that's you know, don't I worry join the club I'm, I'm awful yeah so i think people think that like scientists have to be really good at maths or really good at like uh, you know physics and like I love all those things, but I'm not, I'm not great at them. I'm really good at biology and neuroscience, obviously. Um, mm. <laughs> we <well, you> hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good to know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess, I guess you, there is an analytical side of thinking, 
that um, is required because you have to deal with data, you have to deal with data sets, you have to deal with decision making that is a little bit more abstract uh, in, in your reasoning than if you were creative or you, do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Even like maybe, I, don't, I mean, I don't know zoology, but I think, oh, well, no, actually they're, they're pretty, um, they're pretty analytical as well. Uh, you know, yeah, you we, we had one, uh, we had a zoologist on yesterday actually, and she was oh, saying right. that analytics are a, a big yeah, part of it. Something she didn't actually realize she was going to be doing was, uh, yeah, analyzing all this data. I mean, I love hate statistics. I have a love hate relationship with them, but when it clicks, it's like a puzzle piece. I feel like Sherlock Holmes made it. Um, but yeah, no, I guess, I guess you have to know, um, you have to be kind of, I'm a very logical thinker. Like I I do get emotional obviously, but I, am very good at kind of being like, okay, logic is needs to kick in. Yeah. What are we going to do about the situation? Um, uh, so I guess, yeah, logical thinking, strategic, I suppose, but Mm. you can apply that to business. So yeah, very true. uh, but yeah, I'm not creative at all. I mean, I am in my head, <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I and I dance and I do yoga. But um, I, I'm so bad at drawing. So huh. I don't know. But I don't know because there are people on my course that are really good at drawing. One of my friends does like neuroscience paintings on the side. And oh I'm wow, like, that's cool. Yeah, I, th- I think that kind of mold is 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 slowly starting to kind of like ripple away when it comes to what what place you fit into in the world. If that makes mm. sense. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I definitely I'm go against all of the all of the um, all of the parameters that define whether I should be a neuroscientist or not. Mm. Um, yeah, because I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. If I met me, I probably wouldn't say you're going to be a neuroscientist. <laughs> neuroscientist, and I can see why people are shocked when I say that. Um, and what are some of the biggest positives of the industry you can see? You know, going forward, uh, you're spending time helping people. Could be one. Well, it's a it's a very unknown um, territory when it comes to neuroscience. There's always something to research. You know, it's not like, um, well, I can't think of an example, but you're always going to have work because it's a very, it's a very, um, yeah, like I said, ex- unexplored uh, area. Yeah. And there's a lot to be known still, which is great. Uh, also very scary because, you know, how do you start looking for things that aren't there? But... <laughs> um yeah, so yeah it's I quite think, cool you're a bit like an explorer going out and, and finding these new things yeah so i think that that's great like it's still a very new um new sub not subject but new uh industry a new kind of like avenue to explore so that's that's great i'm very i'm very um excited about the whole psychedelic movement um, i'm going to be following that for you know years to come because i think that that is revolutionary um, so yeah, I think it has space to like uh, make some real changes in the world because, you know, especially in the world where we're living in now, where we're very aware of mental health, uh, we're very aware of how the brain functions. Whereas before, we didn't really think much about it. We just kind of thought, oh, okay, well, this is what we do, and we don't talk about mental health, you know, whatever. Whereas now, we're very much like, no, if you do this when you're a child, it has that impact. If you're like this, it's because of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I think that that's great. I think mental health and the psychology side of neuroscience is big, but also, yeah, neuroscience in itself. So that's one big positive. Um, the second positive is, I don't know, I guess it is creative. It could be fun. You know, if you found what you really wanted to do, um, you know, I unfortunately, well, I do with the behavioral side, but if I had to stay in neuroscience, I guess I'd go into psychedelics. But if you don't know what you want to do, I think that could be quite scary because there's so much you can yeah. 
neuroscience that it's a bit like trading in like the open waters and trying to find something. But I mean, I guess you can look at it both ways, both a positive and a negative that there's just so much to go into. Um, um, yeah. What about some of the less favorable sides of the, the industry? Uh, I think, I think research could be quite boring. I yeah. think so if you're not uh, brave enough to take on your own research, you're always going to be working for someone else's research and then potentially aiding them in something, which would be great because you're aiding someone in, you know, a, a life changing discovery, but it might not ever be your work. Yeah. You know, you be a lab technician or a research associate and just always work under somebody else. Um, so I think that there is a level of creativity and initiative that needs to be taken on in that respect because, um, yeah, but I mean, I think you'll always have a job, which is great. Uh, yeah, that's a bonus. <laughs> I, th- I think I, I also say that, but research is hard. Research is hard. You have to get funding. You have to convince the government why they need to pay you to do this. You need to convince people why you want to poke into their brains and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we like to talk a little bit about sort of uh, what people could expect to earn when they're in the industry. It's a little bit unfair maybe to ask you, but from your sort of experience and people you know of, um, let us know if these figures sort of sound right. And coming out of university, you could look at maybe 25 up to possibly 30. And then salaries really sort of at the moment, it looks like it can go up to sort of 60,000 maybe, depending on the right sort of job you're in. Yeah, I guess it depends. Like if you're going to do, you know, if you're going to be a lab assistant or a lab associate, lab technician, um, I think you probably will not earn more than about 35K a year after a few years. You'll start on 25. But, you know, you could go into teaching. So you could yeah. go into, you could become a professor. I'm pretty sure you have to have a master's for that though. Um, you know, you get paid pretty well doing that. I don't know what the numbers are. I think it's around probably, you know, starting from 50 upwards um with the behavioral stuff which i'm going into um i'm hoping to go into a consulting side so you can earn upwards of 60k potentially more yeah. my, my aim is to eventually branch out and go into a consulting side of things and work with um private clients so potentially like high asset clients on a one-to-one basis on either coaching plus um you know, behavioral support. Um, so is that your sort of uh, idea of how you're planning to progress through the industry? Yeah. I think if I could be the next Toby, Tony Robbins, Toby Robbins, Tony <laughs> Robbins. <laughs> I'm kidding. But yeah, like I, I, I know it sounds crazy, but it doesn't sound crazy, but it sounds a bit like uh, obnoxious, but if I can't be a doctor, then I have to be rich. <laughs> yeah, fair. That's a good goal to have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I couldn't get into med school, but it's okay. I'll make, I'll make some money. I want to, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and psychologists, you could go into neuropsychology and you could work, um, I think band one, band one, uh, psychologists start on about 30 grand and then it goes up to about, you know, over a hundred. If you're uh, a lead psychologist in a, in a firm, yeah. you could even go private. There's a lot of private psychologists. I mean, especially if you're going to be working in like London, Kensington. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, there's so many routes and so many different areas and subjects yeah. and the potential to yeah. earn a really good salary as well. Exactly. That's the, that's the thing. But I think as a pure scientist, I don't think there's much money in that to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like if you were going to stay in research, if you, uh, you know, like if you went into say psychedelic research, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, I guess the guys that are like research head of research at Imperial, for example, I'm pretty sure they 
they're earning a lot of money, but uh, I don't know underneath mm. that what the salaries would be. But I, I know that it's not like I know if you go into neuroscience with an undergraduate degree, you won't be earning a lot of money. If you've got a master's, it, it, it could look better for you. Um, but it depends, like I said, which route you go, you know, you could go, I mean, finance, you're always going to make money in finance and you're always going to make money in psychology. Mm. And if you go into like a clinical side, you could potentially even do your master's or graduate, uh, medical degree and then come in from a psychiatric point of view. Um, but then that requires more studying. So mm. yeah, it really just ma- depends on which, um, direction you go. Well, having done, you know, your first few years at university and experienced what it could potentially be like, would you still choose the course now? Um, yes. Uh, I don't know. Tough one. Depends. Um, yes, because I, I would like to do the behavioral economics, but I'm glad that I've had the neuroscience underneath me because I think if I didn't do that, then I thought, oh, maybe I should have done just economics and then done behavioral on top of that. But actually, I think having the neuroscience as a foundation is really like set up a good structure for my learning from here, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would stick to it. I would stick to what I chose. Well, thank you so much for coming on the call. It's been really fascinating to talk to you about all your experiences so far. And uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. Um, oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, good luck with your last year at university and your master's. And where can people find you on uh, social media? Um, so it's Nicole's Neuroscience with an S because people always leave out the S. So it's, yeah, Nicole's <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to do like an educational, uh, Instagram, although sometimes my private life does get involved. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be sure to link it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank, cool. you. Thank you so much. Have a lovely evening. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.